Chapter 12 Houses of the Holy The day went by quickly. Evan was just happy to watch the extraordinary process of his favorite movie being filmed. He knew every scene by heart, but to see them played out by fine actors who sometimes had trouble with the lines or other times knew them perfectly was a joy. Evan and Coop conferred, and Coop slipped him his address so they could talk privately. What time do I come by? Evan asked him. Coop looked at Evan like he didn't understand the question. Come on by any time. I said I'd be there. I have some exemplary devices to show you, Evan. You will be most impressed, Coop said. Then Evan remembered that this was a simpler time. You didn't have to fit yourself into someone's busy day. If they said to come by, they would be there. People in 2021 seem to need to constantly distract themselves from the daily minutiae of life. Here, they seem to be just happy to have a life at all. Or maybe he was overthinking it. Evan hung around the set, watching crew members come and go, everyone moving busily about. At six, Jimmy emerged from his dressing room in a pair of slacks, a white shirt, and a casual jacket, his fedora perched on the back of his head. Ready? Let's call it a day, he said. And Evan turned and followed, pinching himself that he was actually going to be driving from Hollywood to Beverly Hills with the great Jimmy Stewart. Evan was impressed when Jimmy headed toward a dusty blue 1946 Series 62 Cadillac Coupe. They climbed in. No locked doors, not in this age. And he noted how much bigger this car was than his own Ford. Jimmy cranked the engine, and they headed west on Melrose. Stewart glanced at Evan. I'm still not sure about that scene. And I'm not looking for platitudes, but level with me. That look okay to you? Evan searched for the right words. It felt real, Jimmy. I mean... Evan stopped himself from leaning on his constant refrain of, You're great, Jimmy. Evan needed to get used to the fact that he was here, now, with Jimmy Stewart, and needed to act like it. George has so much pent-up anger toward how his life has worked out this far. And here he is, listening to Sam Wainwright, his friend who actually turned his own dreams into gold, and he has the woman of his dreams near him. The tears you shed and the emotion you displayed seemed very real. It's like you really did have a lot of pent-up anger and resentment in you. He faced Jimmy, watching him thoughtfully. Did you draw on that? Anger and resentment? No, that was fear, Jimmy said and left it at that. They drove in silence for a while. Evan knew what he was referring to, the fear he felt before flying a mission over wartime Europe, fear that came from the deepest, darkest part of Jimmy's soul. He must have struggled with that every hour of every day he was stationed in the UK with the 8th Air Force. Jimmy turned the sleek Cadillac onto Roxbury, from Wilshire Boulevard. Evan noticed Beverly Hills in 1946 seemed far more rustic and quainter than in his own time, 
with low-lying buildings, dusty streets, and lots of trees. Evan wondered when the Genius City Council decided to cut all those down to make way for astronomically expensive restaurants and jewelry shops no one went to. Almost there, Jimmy announced. They pulled into Jimmy's driveway soon enough. Evan noticed the house was in no way ostentatious, overly large or opulent. It was simple, actually looking like any average nice house you might see in 2020's Beverly Hills with a price tag of over $5 million. Jimmy pulled into the driveway, put on the parking brake, and looked at Evan. They say any landing you can walk away from is a good one. I'm thirsty. Want some lemonade? Evan followed Jimmy into the house. He marveled at the interior. It was casually decorated with modest furniture. A plant adorned the foyer that led into the main living room. One staircase led to the second floor. Welcome to my humble abode, Jimmy said, spreading his arms slightly. Let me get that lemonade. Sure, Evan said, realizing how thirsty he was after the sweltering heat from the ride over from Hollywood. It was hot for April. He wondered if global warming was already transpiring in 1946, or if, more than likely, it was just a heat wave without the sinister connotation. A knock came at the front door. Jimmy doubled back from the kitchen and opened it. Well, hello, Henry, Jimmy exclaimed, and returned to Evan with a man only an inch shorter than Jimmy. Evan looked to see yet another familiar face, as familiar as Jimmy's, and he was gobsmacked. Want you to meet an old friend of mine, Jimmy said, motioning everyone toward the kitchen. The man leaned in with an outstretched hand. Hello, he said in a lazy drawl. Henry Fonda. Evan did his best not to blubber. Mr. Mr. Fonda, yes, a, a pleasure, sir, was all he could manage. He looked Henry Fonda up and down. Not as tall as he seemed in the movies, not nearly as taciturn or mercurial. His roles had simply cast him as such and made him famous. In person, Evan felt Henry Fonda was just a regular guy. I'm Evan West. Great to meet you, which was all he was able to say. Just Henry, please. He yawned. I believe we have some airplanes to build tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Henry then looked toward a gleaming statue on a high shelf. How's that Oscar of mine, James? It's doing just fine, Henry, Jimmy said and looked at Evan. He's just sore at me for winning that old thing back in 40. We were both nominated. Evan spotted that gleaming gold statuette and stared reverently. Jimmy hoisted it and handed it to him. The title on the plate was The Philadelphia Story. Wow, Evan sighed. Great movie, Jimmy. Yeah, it was okay. But frankly, I think I got robbed, Henry laughed. You were brilliant in grapes, Evan offered, and meant it. He'd seen the grapes of wrath more times than he could count. 
Oh, Henry, stop bellyaching. You were terrific in that picture. Hack, I would have voted for you. Jimmy quipped. The man went to the kitchen, and Jimmy poured two lemonades from a bottle he kept in his frigidaire. Jimmy and Fonda turned their attention to the 1 to 48 scale model airplanes Evan noticed were scattered across the dining room table. Evan had seen those around as a kid. They had appealed to the generations before his own. Jimmy glanced up and noticed Evan's curious look. Little hobby of mine and Henry's. Model airplanes, Jimmy explained, picking up a small container of tester's glue and carefully gluing the seam of a wing, which he pressed against the flank of a model plane. Jimmy set it down carefully. Lost my port wing on this B-24 last week when I dropped the darned thing, he said, then carefully set the repaired model upright between two empty glasses while the glue dried. Evan glanced at Fonda, who was deeply immersed in the construction of a B-25 Mitchell bomber, and tried to recall what film Fonda had done this year or the year before. It came to him a moment later, while at the same time marveling over the fact that he was in Jimmy Stewart's dining room, watching two of the biggest movie stars in film history building model airplanes. Henry, I really liked your last film, My Darling Clementine, Evan said, trying to sound less like a fawning fan and more like he was part of the exclusive movie club he had now entered. Yeah, Fonda said, looking up. I thought it was good, but I did a little research on Wyatt Earp. Wasn't exactly fact they put up on that film screen. The man was a stone-cold killer who happened to be the winner. True, and they didn't even cover Earp's love affair with Josephine, Evan agreed. Or that Morgan Earp was just a kid. Ward Bond wasn't exactly the casting I would have gone with. And Doc Holliday? He was a smallish man, dying of tuberculosis. Victor Mature looked too healthy. You know your history, kid, Fonda nodded, sizing Evan up. Also, the OK Corral was small, could barely fit a horse or two in there, cramped. They made it seem like a rodeo stadium, and the gunfight itself only lasted about 30 minutes. Hollywood hyperbole, making it bigger than it really was. That's a fact, Fonda agreed. Now, I didn't mind playing Wyatt, but did you know, according to history, he wasn't particular to fighting the Clantons? He didn't mind most fights, but this one he didn't want. Right, Evan agreed, pointing to Fonda enthusiastically. It was his brother, Virgil, the Marshal and his kid brother Morgan, who were worked up to bringing down those guys. Exactly, Fonda said. Then he resumed work on his B-25. Ah, well, good picture, though. Jimmy looked at his B-24 Liberator model, lifting it carefully. The wing had finally stuck in place. The wings were always situated too high on this plane. Just like real life, they tended to fall off with too much stress. 
Fonda stayed focused on his B-25, tapping on the greenhouse nose for the bombardier. Look at that, James. Not one glue smear, Henry boasted. Evan, let's take a look at your new home, Jimmy said, setting down the model and then standing up and heading out the back kitchen door with Evan. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Fonda. Henry nodded in response. They passed through his modest garden and into a small casita annexed to the main house. Jimmy opened the door. Evan glanced inside and saw that it was comfortably furnished, housing a small sofa, two chairs, a bed, and a little kitchenette in the corner. Will this do you, son? Jimmy asked. It'll do just fine, Evan said. Then I'll leave you to it. Day off tomorrow. Any plans? Think I'm gonna ask Dorothy out, Evan said slowly. Good call, young man, Jimmy said. He nodded to him, then opened the door. I'm making some sandwiches later, if you want to come in and join me. Nothing special, just ham and cheese. There's something I like about simple meals. I've had a hard time with rich food since I got back from the war. Doesn't sit well with me. So long, friend. He closed the door. Evan was once again alone. This time, he knew when he woke, he would be living at Jimmy Stewart's place. He was okay with the thought he might never go back to the 21st century home he once had. He was on a grand adventure, and he was buckled in and planned on enjoying every minute of it. He went to the big cabinet 1940s-era Philco radio and turned it on. The Lux Radio Theater was playing before a live audience, and Evan sat back and enjoyed the show. He loved podcasts, and radio shows were no different, except they had that live thing going for them that was so refreshing. Evan stepped into the small bathroom and looked around, surprised to see it fully stocked. Apparently, Jimmy kept his guest home ready to be occupied at a moment's notice. Evan opened the medicine cabinet, finding a shaving mug with soap, a heavy safety razor, which looked more like a weapon than anything that could be claimed as safe, extra Gillette blades, several new toothbrushes still in their box, and a tube of Pepsodent toothpaste. Seeing the unopened tube made Evan slump in relief more than any of the other hygienic products now in arm's reach. He surely had the worst breath imaginable at that point. Uncapping the tube and squeezing out a big dollop of Pepsodent onto a new brush, he went to work, scrubbing away whatever foul bacteria had made a home in his mouth. That task, blessedly completed, he slathered shaving soap onto the brush Jimmy had provided and shaved, a bit gingerly, with the military-grade razor, nicking himself twice in the process, but it was worth it. Evan noticed Jimmy had even provided his favorite aftershave in the entire history of the product. Aqua Velva. Evan splashed it on, reveling in the sting. For the first time in what seemed like forever, he felt like a clean, refreshed man. He went back to the Lux Radio Theater. 
and dozed off while listening to an advertisement for the Hudson Motor Car Company.